Look around you. There's so much work to do. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch. There is a tangible, desperate need for Jesus. A glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus experienced this. He saw it firsthand. The need broke his heart and filled him with compassion. He turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling, a calling to make a difference, to share the truth of the gospel, to be a light in the darkness, to be the church. It's time for us to look beyond ourselves, to turn our focus to the field, to answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work? Well, amen. Man, isn't it wonderful to worship with all the generations? Isn't that a great... Or maybe not. <laughs> I can get here and kind of take it or leave it, huh? That's all right. Good to see everybody the, this morning. Good to be back. Our, our we, Karen and I were out last week. We had a, a, a little family event going on. Our baby of our family, Randy, got married last weekend. And so we have a new Mr. and Mrs. Randall Hahn. We're very excited for them. We, we love Claire, and she's just an incredible uh, addition to our family, and so excited for them and the the lives in front of them. Uh, and now that we've got that behind us, man, I think about everything that is going on here. What an exciting fall we have uh, in, in front of us here at the Heights next Sunday with our fall festival, four o'clock to seven o'clock. I encourage you to come out and be a part, even if you don't have kids and hate candy. Uh, listen, a crowd breeds a crowd, and we're going to have a several thousands, tens of thousands of cars drive through that light out there all next afternoon. And boy, we want them to look over here and think, man, what is going on at that place, right? Yes, I know we do. Did we not get coffee this morning or what's, what's going on? But uh, hey, come make it a part. We're going to have a, a lot of fun next week and uh, hope come come be a part of that and just be with your your church family as we do that. And then, of course, we're all up and running with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, this is a ministry of Samaritan's Purse. They've been doing this for decades. Our church has been a part of doing this for, I don't know, five or six years now. And uh, it's such a simple ministry, great thing, whether you're an individual or a family, uh, to get one of these shoe boxes and you... Uh, pick a, a, a little boy, a little girl, you pick an age group, and then you buy appropriately, put it all in the box, and bring it back, and it'll end up somewhere else in the world. It's, a, it's a, again, just a great ministry for children around the world. But while that is a great ministry all in and of itself, we have heard from mission partners that we have. We have partners in Ukraine, 
partners in Nicaragua that have told us we're, we're a part of a community that these shoeboxes have come into. And it doesn't just create an opportunity in that moment. It's not just a blessing to a child in that moment, but it opens doors for the gospel. It opens doors for all the missionaries, churches, whatever agency, or they are ministering in a place. So when you're putting one of these boxes together, you're not just blessing a child somewhere in the world. You're literally making a way for the gospel and, and opening people's hearts and softening hearts toward that that uh, gives all of the ministries in a particular area a great opportunity. So again, I know we have like 1,200 boxes between our two campuses, and we scooped up about 900 of those last week. I don't know how many were got in the last hour, but that's what you're a part of when you go out there and see one of those green boxes with a red top. Hope you'll grab one of those and, and be involved with us and bring them back. I mean, do the math. You know, that box is going to be in another part of the world on Christmas Day. So there's a calendar to follow here, and we've got to have them back in time to get them to where they go. So we've got that going on. And then we've got what's happening today and next week. You may have noticed the campground or whatever you thought was going out there. We're calling that base camp. And and that's the starting point. And you're going to learn a little bit more next week about all that is involved with Starting Point, what that name represents. But uh, folks, I I think that today and next Sunday are going to be two of the most important Sundays, two of the best Sundays in the history of this church. Now, I'm not saying you'll know that in another hour or you'll know that at the end of next week. I'm not, we're almost through. We're not, I'm not preaching for an hour. Uh, I'm not saying you'll know that at the end of the service or the end of next week. What I'm saying is I think when we get five years, ten years down the road, we're, we're going to look back on October of, of 21 and say that was one of the most significant places in the history of this church. Uh, and, and that's what you're going to be. I'm kind of laying the groundwork for it today. N- next week you're going to learn the specifics about what's being put in place for you, 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 the individual in your following of Christ. So let, let's lay the groundwork for that today. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. You'll find Mark about, oh, 80% of the way through your Bible. If you're thumbing through there, um, Malachi and Matthew are to the left, Luke and John to the right. Mark chapter 1. Let me begin in verse 16, Mark 1, verse 16. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, and he is Jesus, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, that that word really grabs me. Immediately, they didn't think about it, they didn't talk about it. It says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and left their father, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I've always found this moment there on the shore of Galilee, very intriguing, very 
fascinating. I, I, this is a place where I kind of look to God and say, I needed more information here. That This isn't enough for me, Lord. I want to know what was going on that, that this whole immediately thing could happen. What, what was going on with James and John, Peter and Andrew? What, what did they know? What did they know or, or what did they heard about Jesus? I mean, maybe, hey, we're coming into the holiday season. H- had they heard 30 years ago there was angels in the sky and shepherds in the field and there was a manger, there was a, a virgin birth? Had they heard about that? Were they looking for someone special? What was going on in their lives? Were they frustrated? Were they contented? Did they think life was fair? Did they think it was unfair? What all is going on in them that what reads like a stranger walks by and says, follow me, and they do. Right then and there, they stopped what they were doing and they followed. Now, don't put halos on them just yet. Okay, and don't make them mythological creatures, because that's what we do with a lot of Bible people. We just make them something wholly separate and different from us. I think if we could see, you'd be shocked at how much these characters, James, John, Simon, Andrew, are just like you. They have the exact same conversations in their home, the the good ones and the bad ones. They have some of the same dreams, the same ideas, the same questions, the same frustrations. They have the same thing going on in their relationships that you have, good ones and bad ones. They're real people. And because they're real people, I know they've got to have some questions here. Why aren't you asking any of the, I mean, this guy, well, come follow me. I mean, who are you? Where are we going? Will I be back by three? Because I got to get these nets put up. I mean, didn't it seem like there should be some questions there? That's why I want to know what was going on that we don't hear any of those questions. But you know, it dawned on me as I was thinking through this that I was looking completely backwards. I'm looking completely to the past. What was going on in their life yesterday, a week ago, 10 years ago? What all was going on coming into the moment? But do you realize whatever they knew, whatever they had heard about Jesus, and it would be less than more. But whatever they'd heard, the reality is they knew absolutely nothing about the next step. Whatever they had going on back here, they knew nothing. That maybe is even more impressive when they drop those nets and begin to follow. They don't know anything about the next step they took there on the the shores of Galilee. And boy, what a step it would be. I, I know a lot of us here are probably familiar with the Gospels, and we know as they take that step to, to begin following Christ, we know what they're going to see. We know what they're going to hear. They're going to watch Jesus cast demons out of people. They're going to watch him argue with the Pharisees. They're, they're going to watch Jesus love people that we don't love them. We don't even talk to them. They're going to Watch Jesus teach. You know, a lot of us think, boy, if I, was, if I could live in Jesus' day, I'd see the supernatural. You know, actually what people were more in awe of is his teaching. He made life so clear, so meaningful. 
They would be in awe of what God would do through them. And then there would be other times where they probably could barely look at Jesus through their failures. Oh, he would accept them just as they are, but expect everything from them. They, they would know his patience, and they would know his chastisement. Again, they would walk with him through some failures. But you know, as you read the story of the Gospels, as you watch these guys follow Jesus, you kind of get the impression somewhere that it's not as much about success and failure. And that's a strange statement. It, it, folks, success and failure is real. And whether you just succeeded or something, it failed at something, that impacts the consequences, that impacts the day, the next week. It, success and failure always makes a difference. But it appears as they're following Christ, it's not as much about success or failure as it is just staying in the journey, taking the next step. Boy, I, I think that's illustrated incredibly in the life of Peter. And if you know Peter, he has some pretty big successes and then he follows them up as quick as he can with some failures. But he just keeps taking that next step. And, and a lot of us know you come up to that time right before the crucifixion and, and, and Peter's out there warming his hands by a fire in town in Jerusalem there and, and a servant girl walks up and says, hey, you're you're one of those guys that's a, a disciple of Jesus. You're, you're a follower of his. And you, you know what he says. No, I'm not. I don't even know who he is, which was really the dumb thing to say. Everybody who knew Jesus was. I mean, not everybody knew him well. Not everybody knew much. But everybody in Israel was talking about Jesus. And just, I don't even know who he is, but that's what he did in that moment. I, I don't even know who he is. What a failure. And yet, six, seven weeks later, not even two months, same place, he would stand before not one, but thousands and preach, you must come to Christ. And you think, oh gosh, what a successful speaker he was. Man, thousands of people coming to hear him. No, no, right after he said that, he would be arrested, he would be beaten and tortured and when they let him out, guess what he did? He went right back to preaching. He went, he went from being scared to be seen by one to being ready to be seen by the world no matter what it cost. Well, what, what, what changed? What, what happened in Peter's life that that could take place? You know, the best I can tell, he just took the next step. He just kept following. You know, the invitation that Jesus issues here in Mark to, to Simon, Peter, and Andrew, to James and John, is the exact invitation that he issues to you. There, there's absolutely no difference in what Jesus would say to standing before you today. October 24th, 2021, he would say, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. Come follow me. And boy, that first step is a, that's a big step right there. I think it's the biggest step anybody takes in all of life. It is on that first step that all of eternity divides. That first step is a determinant of heaven and hell. So it doesn't get much bigger than that. 
And I guess because that first step is so big and it means so much, I think, I'm not even sure how to quite say this, that I'm phrasing it right. I think preachers, me being one, I think we sometimes, I don't want to say wrongly emphasize, but just maybe so overemphasize the first step that sometimes I think what comes out is all that really matters is the first step. You, listen, here's what it's all about. You got to receive Jesus. You got to ask him into your life. You need to come down the aisle. You need to say the prayer. Take the first step. And I look at five, six, seven decades in America of people that fill churches and we clearly have trained the believer to think all that really matters is the first step. Just, just take the first step. And so we think, well, I, I did that. That's, that's all I'm supposed to do, right? I mean, I know I should probably go to church and read my Bible and cuss a little less. The first step, as profound and big as it is, is a first step of a journey, of an innumerable number of steps to follow. You'll never hear Jesus issue an invitation to make a decision about me. He doesn't invite you to a moment, to an act, and then you say you're done. He invites you to a lifetime. Come follow me. Guess what? That doesn't end. It never ends. Come follow me the rest of the way. Come follow me to a lifetime of growing in Christ-likeness. Come follow me because we're going to go get others. We're going to get the whole world to where everybody is wanting to be like Christ. That's the invitation that Jesus offers. That's the invitation that he calls us to. You come follow me. It's the same for you and me today. Naturally, I, like I want to hear these guys questioning, we wonder, well, what's, what's going to happen after the first step? So now what's the second step? Like I just thought I just needed to get saved. But what, what's the second step? What's the third step? You know, the funny thing is you and I actually know a lot more than James and John did than Peter and Andrew. They really didn't have a clue what came next. But you and I can read the Gospels. And we can get an idea, okay, if I'm following this Christ guy, here's what he's going to teach me. Here's here's what he's going to want me to prioritize. Here's what he's going to want me to do, to not do. I mean, you and I really can get an idea of, okay, if I'm following Christ, here's what comes next. Here's what this is going to look like. Really, the only question is, how will everything Jesus is saying be specifically applied to my life? And isn't that amazing that Jesus has a specific plan for you, for each and every one of us? I mean, eight eight billion people on the planet today, and he's got a plan for you. As a matter of fact, we go back here to to Mark 1. If If you're still there, turn two books over to John. Go to your right and turn to John 21. John chapter 21. Now, you just heard... Jesus say, Peter, come follow me. That's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of his public ministry. 
Okay, so now in John 21, we're at the end of his ministry. The crucifixion's already happened. The resurrection has already happened. A number of appearances have already happened. And Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. But before he does, he circles back around to Peter. Because remember, Peter had a pretty big failure. Peter said, I don't even know who you are. And, and guess what? When you and I are following Christ, he will pull us aside every now and then and say, hey, let's, let's talk about that invitation and you saying yes. And, and, and if you were to read the first 19 verses, that's what you're going to hear Jesus doing. Hey, let's talk about the invitation and you saying yes. Jesus will do that in our lives. We'll, we'll revisit the invitation. We'll, we'll get some discipline on the invitation, some expanding on the invitation. So Jesus and Peter in John 21 have been having a pretty intense, pretty intimate moment. And as we come into verse 20, John walks up. Let me, let me start in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now, that, that is a reference to John. John. John is the writer of John. John never uses his own name, never refers to himself. So he gives some description of how people knew him. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, that's John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That's a very fancy way of saying, it's none of your business. I mean, isn't that kind of the way, isn't that what Jesus just said? I think that's what he said. You, you know, folks, it, it, so Jesus is talking with Peter. We're going over, you know, read the first 19 verses. We're going over the invitation that Jesus had issued three years ago. And now he's kind of breathing some new life into that. And up John walks and, and Peter says, well, well, what about him? And Jesus basically says, listen, here's what you need to do. You focus on following me. You focus on what I'm calling you to do, and I'll have John focus on following me, and I'll have John focus on what I'm calling, having him do. You see that you see the individualness there, that the, the specific plan and idea there. So, so they they both get this individual call, and that's the way it is. That's what we leave here with today, folks. Jesus has a plan for you and you and you and you and all you online for you. Hey, I've got something for you. I want you to follow me. But now here's something else interesting. When you go to the New Testament and look at people who are faithfully following Christ, what you will notice is they always discover that very specific just-for-you plan. They discover that. They execute that plan in community. It's never done alone. It's done together. It's done as the church. As a matter of fact, here's Jesus saying, hey, I've got something for John. I've got something for you. And that's what I need you to focus on. But when this moment is over, guess what happens? Peter and John walk out of there together. And for years, they are going to minister together, as do the other disciples, as does the church. Anybody discovering, anybody living, anybody executing God's plan in their lives is doing so in community, doing so as the church. And, and your church, the Heights Baptist, 
next Sunday is going to put something in place, kind of a new way of helping me, of helping you as individuals discover Jesus' individual specific plan for me and how in community I live out and walk that plan. How I do exactly what Jesus has called me to do. We have, a, we have some staff. We have church members. I would say a team over the years. They've actually become several teams. And it is years. What, what, what you're going to be looking at next week, several teams throughout our church have been building this for years. And that's why I say, I think we're going to get five, ten years down the road, and we're going to look back on this, and we're going to say this is the biggest thing that ever happened in the 101-plus year history of this church. What we're talking about will touch everything in this church, change everything in this church. And all the touch and all the change is for you, the individual, to know best how you discover God's individual plan for you and live it out faithfully in the community of his people. Boy, I really, I really hope you come back next Sunday. I, I think it's going to be a big one. It's going to be an exciting one. You're going to understand why there is a base camp out there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says to commit our plans unto you and you'll make them successful. Lord, I, I, I take the plans of the, these teams of people and all of the time they have given over the last couple of years for me, for us, so that I could know exactly what you're speaking into my life and how I live that and how I follow that and how I enjoy how I enjoy everything you invited me to be in this journey. Lord, I pray you're going to do something amazing at the heights. I pray you're going to do something amazing in each of our lives. Lord, I would pray for myself, for each of us here, each of us online, that there's no single greater desire in our life than to faithfully answer the invitation to come follow you. Not for one step, for the whole journey. Lord, would you give us faith for the next step? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.